This episode of the Glossy Podcast is sponsored by Shopify Plus. From first sketch to retail floor, you need a commerce platform to help you scale at the speed of your ideas. That's why the world's fastest growing brands like Steve Madden, Chubby's, La Sport Sack, and Gymshark rely on Shopify Plus to sell to their customers around the world. You'll be able to go wherever your customers are, from New York to Milan to Instagram. And they'll make sure you look brilliant in every size from pop-up shop to mobile. Join over 5,000 brands on Shopify Plus at shopify.com slash glossy. Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host, Hilary Milnes, and on today's episode, Moda Operandi CEO Ganesh Srivitz discusses joining Moda from Tesla, how Moda is solving the big problems in fashion, and improving the retail experience for both the customer and the designer. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Ganesh. Hi. Thank you for having me. Of course. So you're relatively new at, at Moda. You started, what, last July? Is that right? August, actually. August. Uh, so tell us about your decision to join Moda from Tesla. That was a pretty big change. Yeah, it was definitely a big change, but at the same time, um, not that unusual. Mm-hmm. I did spend a majority of my career in fashion before I went to Tesla. Okay, I was at Burberry for a good 10 years in various roles in, in London, in India, back in New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I left Burberry, I left the fashion industry, mm-hmm. went to Tesla, uh, because I guess I was looking for a more disruptive tech environment, and I didn't feel that fashion was innovating fast enough, disrupting itself fast enough. Or, and um, so I was sort of craving that Silicon Valley uh, experience. But actually when Moda came calling, um, I was very intrigued because it suddenly felt like an opportunity to combine the two things that I love, which is uh, fashion, mm-hmm. but also disruptive tech environments. Right. And the opportunity to create something new and uh, to do something transformational. So, so, that, so once I got to learn about the company and what they're trying to do and what their aspirations are, it felt like a really great and easy fit for me to come in and do this. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the Moda that you inherited. Like, what were they doing that uh, intrigued you and made you think, like, okay, this this is a cutting-edge fashion company? And then, what you know, what did you see in terms of opportunity that, that you were like, okay, I can take this to the next level? Right. So Moda's um, mission is really to connect uh, designers and consumers. Um, and to give consumers rather access to the best in fashion creativity, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and that hasn't really changed uh, in the since the founding of the company, um, and and isn't about to, right? right? And so uh, so that's first and foremost. And and why why is that really important? Um, you know, I, I think what is interesting what's happened in the fashion industry in the last I don't know 20, 30, 40 years or whatever, um, uh, where as the industry has grown bigger and scaled, um, and as new consumers have come in, ironically, the content that consumers have access to has become more and more diluted. Mm-hmm. And and in sort of scaling up, people have perhaps compromised a little bit on um, the the level of creativity that they've been able to sort of really embrace. Um, and 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 the big reason for that is. Uh, you know, it's inventory, mm-hmm. right? You're having to spend a huge amount of cash to buy inventory and constraints. And so that's a cash constraint. And then there's a space constraint. Mm-hmm. You got to keep it somewhere in a store or in a warehouse. Right. 
And so with those two constraints, what happened is then people with business brains get involved in the middle of designers and consumers mm-hmm. and sort of decide for the consumer what they can and cannot have access to uh, based on their calculations of what can be commercial or monetized out of a designer's portfolio of creativity. Right. And uh, and just by the nature of these things, right, and we have an editing process, who gets to edit mm-hmm. and why? It's um, a controversial thing, right? Because uh, how can any set of buyers, no matter how good they are, ha- um have a sense for the full scope of consumer tastes. Right. Uh, and and even perhaps in the older days when you really had a pure retail business and you were maybe thinking about servicing somebody in your neighborhood or something, you say, hey, I, mean, I know my customers. I know who's going to walk in, what sizes they are, what they like to buy. But today, we also, in the last five, seven, 10 years, as internet has, the e-commerce has become huge, you're really servicing a global audience. Mm-hmm. And so it's even more impossible for a set of buyers to say, well, I actually know uh, what consumers across the world want, right. and in what sizes, in what quantities, and so I think more and more. I, so therefore, as the um, as the market for fashion has ex- expanded, ironically, choice has become more constrained in some ways, right? Because uh, you, you know you're trying to do a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I loved about Moda is that it sort of is a counter narrative to that. Um, you know, by giving consumers direct access to the entire catalog of fashion that a designer's put out, you're letting consumers make those decisions directly. And uh, and that's a very interesting proposition because I don't think that, what, the firstly, philosophically, business that, businesses that put consumers at the heart of the decision-making don't typically do well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Best to just let them decide what they want. Uh-huh. And that's part of the zeitgeist of what's happening in, in across multiple industries now, right? Which is how do you put the consumers in charge versus a sort of an industry arbiter. Mm-hmm. So I think at the, at the core of it, like, you know, we can sort of talk around this uh, topic, but the core of it was that that, that ability that Moda has uh, created to put all this fashion creativity in the hands of consumers directly and let them make their own choices, that was sort of the most interesting thing for me because I think that's sort of maybe what was getting lost in the fashion industry. Absolutely. I think that we've explored a lot this idea that power has shifted mm-hmm. onto the to the hands of the consumer, but it's, I, I think like you you hinted at, it's a, it's a push and pull because when you're faced with too much uh, mm-hmm. choice and, and option and, and absolutely no curation, the customer can become a little bit paralyzed. Yeah. You, you you seek out a retailer or a brand because mm-hmm. you like the aesthetic that, that they've edited are, and are showing you. How do you strike that balance um, if you're Moda, which you know takes the the collections directly from the designer and puts them out, and then you know depending on how things perform, it's it's really no it's no hurt for the business. Right, and this is a a, a, a great question also for the reason of where Moda has how far how long um, how best has Moda um, tackled that problem in the past mm-hmm. and how we intend to in the future. Um, the first way is that Moda is not a sort of free-for-all. Like It's not that anyone who calls themselves a designer can just sort of jump onto Moda. Right. right? It is a curated platform in that we carefully uh, curate and select what designers get to play on Moda. What we don't do is that once we sign a designer, we don't tell them what to design and what to put on our site. Mm-hmm. Because that's the point, is that once we think of you as a great designer, and we have plenty of uh, amazing designers on our platform, I think at last count something between twelve to 1,300, and uh, but we curate that list, and we make sure that it's a list that um, best serves our luxury fashion customers, mm-hmm. right? So that's point number one. So there's a level of curation and who gets to be on the platform. The number two thing is that um, you know our stylist network. So we've also built a really great stylist network. I would say best in the business that help our customers navigate that catalog, right? So our, cust- our stylists are working very hand to hand, hand in hand with our customers. 
and making sure that if they understand their tastes and their preferences that you're showing them. But it's also the responsibility that we have is not just also showing customers things that they're most familiar with. It's also challenging them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think in any good stylist will make sure that they keep their customers on their toes a little mm-hmm. bit, right? So show them things that maybe they're similar, adjacent, but not quite exactly what they've always bought. Right. So keeping them excited and challenged. And so, uh, and, and obviously we have an e-commerce business where, you know, if you go to our site, I mean, there's a level of personalization on the site itself through our email program, et cetera, where as we learn more about the customers, we curate the experience. But this is, I think, the biggest opportunity Moda also has in the future. Because if you think about content businesses in general, you think about Netflix or think about Spotify that have huge amounts of content. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you personal? I mean, no two people have the same Spotify homepage or the Netflix homepage. Right. And it's completely curated for them. And there's a lot of data science and machine learning that goes into that. Uh, and all of your browsing behavior, as well as your transactional behavior, gets f- fed into that, right? So... What we, as much as it's great that we can offer customers so much choice, we have to enable. We don't edit choice, mm-hmm. but we need to enable it. Mm-hmm. We need to make discovery possible. And so, how do we do now? New tools that are available in data science and machine learning and stuff to do things that we've have done historically through our stylist network or through our own personal taste. Right. When you think about the new ways that that retail companies that have been more you know on the front lines of incorporating this type of technology into fashion, it's striking the right balance of person personalized mm-hmm. fashion recommendations that are brought to people either by an algorithm through machine learning mm-hmm. or an actual person who can then say okay if we if this algorithm were, were to left be left up, up to its own devices it mm-hmm. would just narrow it down until you only have the same the same group of clothing yeah. so that that uh, you know human human eye can come in and, and say okay try this switch it up a little bit mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems like the the way that curation is happening is, is just shifting to a different part of the customer journey. It's it's now more one-to-one, at least that's the ideal, rather than being like, we we curate it at the, at the beginning and then everyone sees the same selection. Correct. Correct. So it so that kind of helps with like the the choice paralysis. Mm-hmm. If if you were to you know we've all gone down like that Netflix hole, which you can do, <laughs> it gets it gets messy. But yeah. if you kind of let the the algorithm do its thing, you're it should be fitted more personalized. So how have how have you kind of looked at at fashion as a technology company and make sure you are striking the right balance between that that art and science of what what fashion truly is? Right, and and so, and that's why if you look at um, I, I think what you said is exactly correct. We're not walking away from our stylist network. Mm-hmm. We're not walking away from that high touch experience. What we're thinking about is how do you incorporate high tech into the high touch? Um, first of all, on the, on the on the supplier side, like we have very close relationships with designers and brands, and we work very close with, closely with them on how we bring them to market, how do we launch them on Moda, and how do, how we give them a platform, and how do we constantly bring in new designers. Because part of it, like to your point, is about hey, eventually the, the, the machine learning will uh, get to a singularity mm-hmm. with every client. Is is to make sure the content is always fresh, right? And so, first of all, fashion in itself is very ephemeral. Mm-hmm. Every season is an entirely new collection, right? But we also are very. I think Moda has historically built a great um, uh, reputation for breaking new designers, so that we're always always bringing new designers in. And when you bring these new designers in, we, they would not enjoy working with us if we constantly biased ourselves towards the designers that have already been successful. Right. And so part of what we've always done is worked hard to make sure that our customers connect and see those new designers and how they're somewhat maybe either familiar to them or similar to some of the tastes they've had or perhaps challenge them in new ways. Mm-hmm. And so now what we've done manually, which is how do you do that digitally and through technology and, uh, and through data, 
And in this process, both of, uh, of those things are going to happen, which is one, if I understand your preferences, how do we use data, technology and data not just to simply show you the familiar, but also show you, so challenge you and show things that are more adjacent? Mm-hmm. Now, that's a little secret sauce, right? So right. <laughs> obviously, sure. you know, so that's one thing. But we're going to continue to keep our stylus network at the heart of this uh, business strategy, but I really expand that into a much broader audience because today, what do you consider a stylist? Uh, it doesn't have to be also a very formal arrangement. Mm-hmm. Now, you can come to Moda and you can partake of our stylist program. But you may be on Instagram following certain people that you think of as influencers. You may be following your friends who you think have really good taste. Mm-hmm. And so what you're going to find that's going to be very interesting in the future uh, is that is how we deal with this whole ecosystem of discovery. Because how you discover things is not through one source, it's through diversity of sources, mm-hmm. right? And so sometimes, like, like in travel, I mean, you may have regular places that you go to that you say, well, I want to go on a vacation, so I'm going to go do my research. Or sometimes you just bump into something when you're not expecting to. Maybe you watched a movie about a place and you want to go there. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what we think about is how discovery happens for our clients and how do we ultimately personalize that experience to their modes of discovery. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see us really engage with the wide ecosystem of uh, ways in which people discover product, but use the same technology platform to support all those modes of discovery. Right. We'll be right back. The success of your business should never be limited by the commerce platform you run on. That's where Shopify Plus comes in. Whether you're kicking off an exclusive flash sale or epic product drop, you'll be able to process thousands of transactions a minute without worrying about broken carts or crashed checkouts. Shopify Plus is tailored for fashion speed, experience, and personalization. Learn more about Shopify Plus at shopify.com slash glossy. And so, like, to your point, you want to make sure if there's a brand new designer that the algorithm doesn't work against them because they don't have Correct. that history. How do you make sure that, you know, it's it's agnostic because technology and algorithms play such an important role in, in what customers see? Like, traditionally, if you think about how retail has always worked, you have the buyer and they have, like, a stake in, in any mm-hmm. sort of d- new designer they bring on succeeding. Do you take that out of the equation? How are you working in a way where it's, you know, whatever customers are getting, they know that it's like, okay, this is truly my my discovery path to to whatever new designer I'm going to to find on the platform and not just, you know, what, what they're pushing. Mm. One of the ways in which we understand how um, a product or an item or a designer performs is we look at how much, um, in a very simplistic sense, right, how many times is an, is an image viewed? Mm. Right? Um, how many times has a designer clicked on mm-hmm. and, and, and what? So, we have an ability at a very fundamental level to look at engagement data across all designers. And if, if I find that some portion of my catalog is never viewed, never seen, then right. I know that I'm doing disservice uh-huh. to that designer, to mm-hmm. that part of the catalog. And so, what is really important is that we're surfacing everything to people. Now, so that's not a sort of black and white proposition because uh, part of what I, we also tell the designers is some collections. If, if, if you give enough engagement into the collection, if you let people get to it and see it, but if they're not willing to really click into it or buy it, well, the content has to do part of the work too, mm-hmm. right? And so Trunk Show, I, this model of how we let customers pre-order, it's a bit of a mirror, right? Our, our job is to present that, that item in context, uh, in relevance to consumers. But beyond that is between the customer and the designer mm-hmm. uh, in terms of whether that aesthetic appeals to them, right? It's not about, I think the difference in our model is we're not forcing clients to buy something because I happen to make inventory bets into it right. 
and now I'm kind of stuck selling it. Mm-hmm. If anything, I think that's a little bit more disingenuous, right? right because you're sort of saying, hey, you should buy this because, mm-hmm. because I have it. Right, because we thought that this would perform well. And, now <laughs> and now I don't want to be selling it on markdowns. Mm-hmm. And if you think about what's happened in the fashion industry, so much of fashion really gets sold in promotions and markdowns mm-hmm. because of exactly that, because a product itself doesn't get sold and therefore use price as a as an incentive. Right. Uh, right. Because the product, the content doesn't work on its own. And I think that's the that's the place that we don't want to get to. Ultimately, we want the product to resonate with the client as long as you know our our objective, make sure that designer, that piece of that that item is get gets to be seen by enough people mm-hmm. and enough of the right people. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. so then it then that it, it does it on its own Correct. as it should. Uh, so it seems like if you were to lay out like the problems in in fashion retail that that Moda is setting out to solve. Avoiding markdowns and bad bets on on trends and and overbuying inventory that doesn't then sell, the disconnection between when an item is seen on a runway and uh, when it actually goes on sale, which is you know the the trunk show model that you that that you were just mentioning. It, can you just briefly explain how that works? Yeah, how how it works is that look twice a I should say I shouldn't say twice a year a, a few times a year. Designers present their collections, and they typically happen in the big fashion ca- uh, centers like New York, Paris, Milan, mm-hmm. uh, London, around Fashion Week. And you know these, um, uh, and uh, you know X number of designers congregate, present their collections, and runway shows are within showrooms. And then buyers uh, fly into those uh, locations from across the world, and they place their bets. Mm-hmm. What we do is at the same time that the fashion industry and the insiders get to see those collections either in the runway show or inside the showrooms, mm-hmm. we're presenting those collections directly to consumer. Because mm-hmm. they're seeing them now at that same time as well Correct. because of social media. Bingo. <laughs> because the point is, when does discovery happen, right? And so previously, now this is before, uh, interesting enough, I think Moda was founded the same year as Instagram. Mm. So it's sort of like a seminal year. Yeah, <laughs> big, big one. You know? and, and if you think about how much discovery now is frankly untethered mm-hmm. from transaction, Right in the old days, old days, like you know, <laughs> when uh, yeah, you <laughs> you you go like you said, you go to a retailer, you see what they have an offer, and you say, well, okay, you know, there's ten things I'll buy these two things, and what to some extent cons- the consumer's awareness of available choices is shaped by what people chose to show them, and I think that's changed now because our sense of available choice is much more expanded, mm-hmm. and then now we look for who can therefore help you fulfill. Uh, something that you've already seen and desired, right? Right. That's the difference in retail today, and so it's a paradigm shift. And so to some extent, the businesses uh, that were driving transactions don't control discovery anymore, mm-hmm. right? It's become untethered. So what we're trying to do is connect transaction back to discovery. Mm-hmm. So if your discovery is happening, when that runway show hits Instagram or hits Vogue.com, and people have already seen everything, and now they're already emotionally connecting with different items, the only problem is that they actually can't purchase it for four to five months, mm-hmm. leave alone, they may not even ever be able to purchase it if somebody didn't buy inventory in that piece. Or it could be a store in Tokyo and you don't even know. Right, you never see it again. And so people think of instant gratification as somehow transaction and fulfillment. I bought it and I get it right away. Mm-hmm. We think of instant gratification as so I see it and I can buy it right away. Right. And how? so how has this helped the, the brands and the designers that we've seen a lot of attempts to to bridge that gap on the brand level, uh, you know, Burberry being one, for instance, that has done the in-season runway shows in this whole see now, buy now movement. Uh, but it's had, I feel like, mixed mixed results. Um, how do you guys make it 
make it not only make sense to to the to the customer, but also easier for the brands because it seems like you know either you you kind of have to blow up the entire system in order to try that, and it's a really big gamble that may not pay off. Yeah, first of all, I wouldn't say you have to blow up the system. I think it's on the just, brand level. Yeah, well, kinda. in the sense that I think you're giving consumers an, another way to shop, mm-hmm. right? I'm not. I think we're not here to say that buying things in season are going to disappear. On the contrary, I'll come. we can come back to that, but that's a big part of how Moda also will be successful in the mm-hmm. future. But, and, 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 so there is a sort of an, um, there's a philosophical element to it and there's an operational element to it, right? The philosophical element is, do consumers want to, the ability to fulfill something that they discover in the moment? Mm-hmm. I think Moda is an example that the answer is yes, right? So like when you see something, you want it, you want the ability to purchase it right away. I think uh, this is the benefit of a marketplace or, 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 or an ecosystem and also of scale, mm-hmm. which is when individual brands do it, um, it's a different experience to when you can go to one destination and look at hundreds, if not thousands of designers and brands and be able to really choose among all of that, right? And so I think part of the advantage or benefit that I guess Moda offers clients is one destination versus me having to go individually to multiple designers, right? And that also allows us to really invest and innovate on the experience. Mm -hmm. Because if you're one designer trying to do this, what is your infrastructure and what is your capability uh, to drive personalization relevance, but also the logistics of, you know, and communication, shipping, et cetera, all that kind of stuff that all the friction that can come into the process that we're, like when I wake up in the morning, our entire moda wakes up, all we think about is how do we make this better? Versus for that brand or that that designer, that could be like one among right. many many initiatives, they, right? They have a lot of things. And so, critical know. mass is one of the ways in which ecosystems and marketplaces become more efficient, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and also, that's one. Number two is we've also managed, therefore, over time to train a client. It's not that sort of just because we did this, it's all super intuitive, and people showed up and started shopping like crazy, you know. So there is an element of an intensive amount of training that Moda engages with our client. In, the, in building the value in this kind of shopping behavior, hey, we're giving you access um, to complete unedited collections from all these designers. Mm-hmm. This way, you can really uh, this, uh, you can really satisfy your own creative impulses, right? Your your individuality and taste, sizing diversity. You know, mm-hmm. if you're somebody that is not going to fit neatly into sort of size <laughs> ratios that maybe retailers put out, you can get really small sizes, or large sizes, or whatever it is that you're looking for. And so there's a lot of good reasons why this becomes successful in terms of choice for options, choice for sizing, instant gratification, mm-hmm. um, and so forth, and the real personalization, right? And so, and, and absolutely, I think perhaps some brands have dabbled in it. I was actually at Burberry when this was attempted. Uh, I, so I think the 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 logistical and operational challenge of putting it all together and really delivering it in a seamless experience to client has a big role to play. Right. Um, I also think in any idea, it's time has to come. You know, when we did it at Burberry, they were sometimes you can also almost be too early too. Mm. And I, like I said, I talked to you about Instagram and all those kind of things. And I think uh, more and more, um, and if you look at more younger consumers, mm-hmm. uh, 50% of our traffic and our uh, our customer base is under 35. Wow. And so it's a very new generation, the millennial and even post-millennial consumer that also thinks very differently about their personal choices mm-hmm. and what they want to be told and, and how they want to be uh, made to shop and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I think their consumer behavior is what we're really watching really closely. Yeah. 
And I think that's part of the shift too, in that maybe people tried it five, 10 years ago and it didn't resonate, but now this new consumer is way more open to this kind of innovative way of shopping. Mm-hmm. So you look at how the the attempts to, to, to nail see now buy now, if, if you could look at that and say that didn't really work out on the mass level that maybe we thought it wasn't the sea change that that maybe fashion expected for a, like a few seasons there it's still coming and they have to figure out at least some strategy to hit that instant gratification right. get in front of customers at the right time yes but uh, but uh, but this is where I'll come to the second point I will come back to the in season which is the the, the real um, insight I think we got here was that people want more expanded choice. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, the see now, buy now, or the buy now, wear now, if you put that to a one second, ultimately what we represent for a client is expanded choice. Mm-hmm. To, I presume many of our clients were frustrated in that they could see beautiful things, walk down the runway, and feel like they could never have access to it. Mm-hmm. Because some buyer at a retailer that sells that brand decided that, that maybe that won't sell. Right. And I don't have hard statistics on this, but I've heard numbers like only a third of collections ever get produced. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means two thirds of that content can be seen by client whenever it be accessed. And it really sort of circumscribes what we think of as consumer choice. And again, we've talked about that a little bit earlier. And so the question is, how can I then, how can we at Moda bring that same sense of choice even into our in-season business? Mm-hmm. That's the more interesting question that I think we're thinking about. And what we notice is that these customers, these early, these fashion-forward clients that come into Moda, that buy early, directly from runway, are in some way fashion prognosticators. Mm-hmm. Because what they're telling us are what are going to be the trends in six months, and what are those items that maybe some buyers didn't realize are going to trend, but these customers are telling me, hey, trust me, this item is hot, and you should buy into it. Right. They're talking to us. They're the early adopters. Exactly. And so what we're moving to much more aggressively is how are we therefore taking that data? Mm -hmm. Not just, first of all, I say the best trend data is transactions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And and secondly, but also clickstream data. Mm -hmm. And how are we building predictive models on what that data is telling us about what future fashion trends are going to be? And that trend line can either simply be, hey, this item is going to be a big hit or this designer Hey, their time has come. They're gonna break out in the uh, you know when in in season where they're gonna sell really well next season. Right. Or it could be systemic trends uh-huh. where colors, fabrics, silhouettes, patterns that we see across hundreds of designers resonating, and you know there's a big wave coming in right. that particular. And so, and there have been multiple examples for us even since I've come in where I've noticed that dissonance between what our early customers are telling us are going to be trending mm-hmm. and what the fashion industry chooses to end up investing in. Right, and when it actually And goes we have sale. benefited from that data by investing in those trends and actually monetizing it. Mm-hmm. And so, in some level, these early customers are doing a great service to their brothers and sisters who shop later mm-hmm. by, by allowing us, telling us what are going to be those things that we ought to invest in that perhaps others are not and that allows that customer who still wants that buy now, wear now experience to still have expanded choice. Right. And you can also see, okay, here's the, to your point earlier, like the part of the collection that doesn't get as much as much hits, but it's no skin off your nose or the, the designer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so what we find is that when you look at the data, 
consumers are very interesting. Uh-huh. There is a huge diversity of clients out there right now who can buy into all sorts of interesting looks and and things. And then so and they're telling you, hey, there's a trend out there, and it's not a major trend. Mm-hmm. It could be a micro trend, right. and that's fine because ultimately we are an aggregation of many micro trends. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other big difference in Moda versus perhaps no different than again Netflix or Spotify is that in Netflix, you know. There's such a long tail of content, and there's micro audiences for each of this content, mm-hmm. right? Versus the big hits, and I think the same thing for us is how do we identify, say, instead of having one or two big trends that we chase, and you know what the problem is, everybody else is chasing them too. Right. How do we aggregate fifty or hundred micro trends, and mm-hmm. actually, and and then in that process allow for way more consumers to shop in uh, and really uh, uh, expand their choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so when they come to us, even in the in-season product that we still have much more differentiated product than anyone else. Right. So, so to get back to, you know, where where Moda sits in in the problems for fashion that it, it can solve, it's, you know, inventory risk, uh the in-season uh disconnect and then the the choice, you know, paradox of if either you're not really seeing what you want to see and at the retailers and it's still personalization it's it's narrowed down it has that style stylist point of view so to your point this seems like what's where the data science comes in really flexing that that muscle where else do you see like okay what's what opportunities lie ahead that that your experience will really lend to building this to the next level right so most of the conversation we had till now was about the consumer Mm -hmm. and Absolutely, right. That's the most important thing, and uh, and 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 the value that Moda represents to consumers. But we equally see ourselves as a partner to the design community, designer community, right? Um, because their success is our success, and 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 so ultimately, we are a platform on which designers get to communicate directly to consumers, mm-hmm. right? So we're a medium, and all all we're saying is we want all of their creativity. To have a chance uh, to be successful and not just some some portion of it. This, therefore, we're actually designers' best friends, mm-hmm. right? Um, we don't tell them, "Hey, you know, only some of your stuff is nice enough for people to see." Right. And so, over time, is how do we explore that opportunity further in how um, Moda can be a great platform for designers to really sort of uh, build their businesses. Mm-hmm. Today, I think already um, maybe close to two thirds of the designers that we have. Uh, perhaps no one else carries or carries in very limited ways, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and we can be the primary vehicle on which the, uh, somebody have, has launched a new business, mm-hmm. right? So we are scouring the world far and wide for new talent, mm-hmm. but we can break them faster because we don't have to worry about inventory risk. We can give shoot their collection, present it to clients and say, hey, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and over time, how can we be a platform on which those designers can build sustainable businesses and that we can help them grow an audience and, and scale. So that's something we're really looking at as well, uh, uh, having a designer service portfolio. Mm. That would be on the like the designer end. Correct. So that any good marketplace is building value uh, on both sides of the ecosystem. Right. right? So. What do you find that the cust- the, or, sorry, the designers need the most in terms of a service from, from someone like you? Well, first, look, there are obviously there are very established large designers or brands, I should call them. There are more medium-sized uh, brands and designers that are Hey, I've had a reasonable track record of success, mm-hmm. but now I want to scale. And then there's a third group, which is I'm just breaking out. I'm emergent. Uh, maybe I had one or two seasons, or maybe this is my first season. So we really break it up into these three buckets. The large brands, we 
think about, hey, what is a gap in your capabilities that we can fill? Because these large brands have tremendous capabilities on their own. They're also working with multiple uh, partners and ecosystems. And so, and okay, we say, okay, you have hundreds of stores. You're really good at selling maybe, you know, your logo handbags or or, or maybe accessories business is very strong, Mm -hmm. but maybe your ready-to-wear business is not as strong. And Valmoda's strength happens to be fashion ready-to-wear. And ready-to-wear is the most challenging sizing, breadth, et cetera. So some of the designers we talk to, they're excited that we can be a partner for them in helping them scale their women's fashion, ready-to-wear businesses in a way in which maybe they've struggled a bit. But that's a little bit more sort of obvious, you know. If you come to the mid-level, those are brands that are saying, hey, should I open my own stores now? Because I've, I had a wholesale business, but maybe now it's time to go retail. Um, should I open my own e-commerce? Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about, okay, well, first, our data can tell you maybe which markets are really strong for you. What kind of consumers really like your product? And also, uh, if I'm going to do e-commerce, I need photography. Well, I'm shooting your whole collection, uh, right? right? Or, uh, you know, so, and if it's emerging designers, they need everything, mm-hmm. you know, from like, uh, how do I collect payments? Right. Like really <laughs> how do teams. I ship product? Mm-hmm. And also, if you're a young designer, uh, even sometimes medium ones, I mean, honestly, fashion is an extremely hard business. It's mm-hmm. very cash intensive. Right. Building a store is expensive, you know, right? Building, having products manufactured, samples manufactured is very expensive. So even simply by li- uh, telling them where to invest, you know, which products have a potential to scale, you know, what items are really going to uh, resonate with the clients. Mm-hmm. It's a huge uh, benefit for designers to be able to curate their investments into those items to, from a manufacturing perspective, yeah. right? And so there's a plethora of ways in which with our data, but also with our capabilities in uh, technology, in, in studio, in logistics, then we can offer potential services to designers over time mm-hmm. um, that, you know, maybe want to explore and ultimately they will dictate it, you know? Right, yeah. and then that Moda's value proposition will, will just increase over time. Yeah, uh, you know, because again, I think our philosophy is, hey, if you do right by your design commu- designer community and if you do right by your customers, I mean, that's sort of, it's, it seems very simple, but it is. Right, you know? right. Yeah. So what do you think this all means for traditional multi-brand retail? What, what it seems like, you know, every direction that, that Moda is going speaks to some either industry uh, problem to solve or, or customer friction. If you're, like we said, the good old days, like not that long ago at all, but the traditional way that that fashion has worked, how, do you see it changing as a whole? Like, how can these retailers keep up for whenever you know you have tech-focused fashion players building online? Yeah, I mean, I'm not here to sort of prognosticate on the death of any part of the industry. That being said, I think we all know that. Uh, a lot of reinvention needs to happen, mm-hmm. right? That's not a big, big secret. And I'm also, frankly, excited about the level of innovation that's already happening in the industry. Um, you know, different ways of consumption, you know, renting, uh, reselling, you know, um, different ways of personalization, you know. And so uh, it's a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. The The key thing I would say, if, you know, uh, for traditional retailers, if you want to call them that, is is how are you engaging with all of that ecosystem and really understanding where the consumers headed, right? Right. I think uh, I think what happens to large incumbent businesses uh, is so much of their asset base and their resources and the institutional culture and knowledge is mm-hmm. baked into certain ways of doing things, and it becomes really hard to uh, peel all of that out and really go in a new direction because huge amounts of like energy has been expended to build what they have. Right. So I, I, I kind of understand that, you know. I also don't think that, um, uh, you know, and so, 
But when you look at but the but it is also a fact that when you look at consumers, younger consumers especially, they're changing rapidly. Mm-hmm. And so this um, combination of like large but sort of uh, uh, incumbent businesses, but that are that are struggling with perhaps all of the change, but a consumer that's evolving really fast, mm-hmm. like. It's already come to a head, but I think it's going to even more so in the next five years. Right. Well, kind of, it's it's at a head now, and that'll just keep kind of going down That's that direction. Right. And uh, and then it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, how people adapt and, and what happens. And mm-hmm. by the way, it's not unique to fashion. You've seen that in the automotive industry, uh, as I was used to at yeah. Tesla, and, uh, and you're seeing it in uh, music and movie making and everything. And and some people have reinvented themselves, and others have you know gone other ways. And so. I think it's going to be very interesting over the next five years. No, it will. And to that to that culture point, how have you you've made some hires recently? How did you sort of decide? Okay, here's how we can bake in this very tech forward perspective and and culture into this fashion company. Yeah, and you probably are pointing at sort of the single biggest thing that actually is going to make the difference um, is talent. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, one of the things that I learned. Um, actually, being away in, in tech in, in the valley is uh, is you know the, the the people think oh disruptive thinking, but how does it happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not just because a bunch of engineers sat in a room and they're really smart and they were thinking very very hard. You know, <laughs> is it actually, not? That's kind of what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's actually it's actually a diversity of perspectives, mm-hmm. and I, and I think that's probably underappreciated um, in that if everybody in your company has the exact same life story. Then you probably come to the exact same conclusions right. in any given problem, you know. And like you know, hey, I started at ground level and worked my way up, and I did this first, and then that first. And there's a whole trajectory in most industries, by the way. I don't want to just sort of poo-poo fashion in this regard. Mm-hmm. And I think what's happened uh, in tech and what's happening in younger companies, even in fashion, is hey, you know, let's break that paradigm. Let's bring in a lot of different perspectives and bring new eyes to old problems. And also people that have no skin in the game, mm-hmm. they don't care about breaking something apart because they didn't build it. Right. Whereas if you invested your entire life in building something and I'm asking you to completely throw all that out and change it, then it's really hard. It's mm-hmm. emotional. And so um, we, have, so I think we've been very lucky at Moda in the last seven, eight months to attract the real diversity of talent. So, of course, as you know, I came from Tesla, although I did originally work at uh, Burberry in itself, in its time, a very innovative company. Mm-hmm. Um we have a CFO that was the CFO of Etsy and took them public and then went to some, um, you know, masters after that and then came to Moda now. We have a chief product officer, which in itself is a role that's unique to the fashion industry, yeah. but uh, came from Grubhub uh-huh. and prior to that in Expedia Orbits. And so that's just a couple of examples and I can go down the list of people that have just really come from different industries. I mean, but what they all share is, you know, uh, a passion for innovation mm-hmm. uh, of creative tech, um, a real desire to solve consumer problems. If you think about these businesses like Grubhub, you know, real innovator in food uh, of food delivery and right. so forth, you know. So how, and, and so when they come in, what did they see? How did they analyze the same problems that I just presented to you? Mm-hmm. And already the dialogue in the office is getting really interesting. Mm-hmm, you sure. Know? Yeah. It doesn't have to be the, you know, traditional fashion perspective yeah. when you're running such a high-tech company. But that being said, I, do, I also want to say that we've also hired best-in-class fashion folk. Mm-hmm. So we hired a, a fashion director for women's and a fashion director for men that I would say are best in the business, came from Net-A-Porter in, in the women's side and uh, a magazine, a, a little store in LA and the, and the men's side, but he used to work at Bloomingdale's and other places. You know, we, are, we have our buying team that we're very proud of and, 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 and so forth. So it's a real mix between people 
that are understand the industry, but yet willing to look at the industry with fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. It's a rare breed, but we find them. Right. <laughs> and then and then we and then the people that really do come from disruptive tech environments and and have that sort of built in. And when you put those two together, there is a healthy dialogue too because. Part of the benefit of having a very strong fashion component to what we do is understanding how designers think. Mm-hmm. Because no matter how much, how fast we may want to move, we're moving as fast as our vendors, our designers want to move. Right. Right. And so having a healthy respect for their experience, what they, what is amenable to them, mm-hmm. how fast do they want to move and some faster than others. Mm-hmm. And being able to navigate that in itself is an art. Right. Right. Just because we think we have the right answer. Hey, okay, everyone fall in line. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. And I think that our team, fashion team, builds that appreciation in our tech and data team. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, it sounds like the right mix of art and science. Yeah. Well, we're just about out of time, but thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed the episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three-month subscription to Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members access unlimited stories, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's $80 off by entering the code intro at checkout at glossy.co slash subscribe. And as always, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.